Romans chapter 8, and uh, we've been studying in Sunday school the book of Acts so much, I keep wanting to say Acts. Uh, but um, Romans 8 is probably my favorite chapter in the Bible. And uh, one of the reasons for it was when I first got saved, uh, I was 18 years old, and of course, uh, there's a lot of bad habits you've picked up uh, language-wise, other things that you've picked up over the years. And uh, so you get saved, and then the preacher preaches a message and points out another particular area that the Holy Spirit, as of yet, hadn't tuned you up in. And then Satan tries to whisper in your ear, well, see, you're not even saved. And uh, if you were saved, you probably wouldn't be doing that. And if you never get past that, um, you'll never do anything for the Lord. It's almost like a baseball runner going around first base, heading to second, and then he wonders, did I actually touch first base? And so he wants to run back and keep going back, so you never get anywhere for the Lord. And it wasn't too long after I got saved that these verses in verse, uh, Romans 8, verse 16 hit my heart, that where it says the Spirit, and it's capitalized, talking about the Holy Spirit, itself beareth witness with our spirit, and that's lowercase, so it's us, that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also glorify together. But that comment about the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit, that we are the children of God, it taught me from that moment on that I knew I was saved. There was no doubt about it, because the key to salvation is not how you act in public. It's you in private. That's when the Holy Spirit corrects you in, in your, the things you think you're going to watch on TV, the th activities you think you're going to do, the places you go to. Um, if it's a show, if it's uh, just for moral, you know, in other words, good manners, in other words, around church people, you don't use certain language, you don't behave certain way. So a lot of us have good character in some ways. We've been raised up to be polite. And so your conscience doesn't bother you if you do other things in a private setting. But the moment you get saved, that isn't the truth. And uh, because God, the Holy Spirit, knows what he tells his children how they're supposed to behave. And so the thing is, I share that with you. It was a blessing to me at that time. But it's a warning to all of us, too, that if you only feel like you should act certain ways whenever there's church folks around, and when you're by yourself, your conscience doesn't bother you to do other things, you need to ask yourself, are you truly saved or not? Because God, the Holy Spirit, will talk to you. He will try to conform you to the image of his son, which is what we're also going to look at later tonight. But the verses I really want to spend some time on is starting in verse 26 of Romans 8 and through 34. And what we're going to see here are two great privileges that Christians can claim. And uh, we're going to look, we'll read the verses and then we'll talk through them and go back to them and reference them a bit. It says, likewise, in verse 26, likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. 
And he that searches the heart knoweth what is in the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good for them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that we might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, he, he uh, did predestinate them also, uh, them he also called, whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spareth not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay any, anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is, is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yet rather is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who maketh intercession for us. Um, the first thing I want to look at here is the, uh, the help by the Spirit in our prayer life. Um, he talks about, uh, we see in the, um, the weakness that we have in prayer, in verse 26, he says, For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Now, you know, one of the reasons for that could be what James talks about in James chapter 4 and verse 3, and that's because we're praying for things that we want to consume because of our So we're praying for all these different things. God, they're just to be consumed upon ourselves, and so we're we're praying in that way, and and so that could be one of the ways that we're uh, praying. Uh, we don't know how we ought to pray, and then we're also limited in information, not knowing the future. Uh, it can uh, make our prayer. Um, I've used this illustration once before. But I think the best illustration that I can find in the Bible is uh, Joseph when he was in the prison in Pharaoh's prison of about 14 years uh, in prison. Um, and he's sitting there and the butler and the baker have their dreams and they're troubled by it and God allows him to interpret those uh, dreams that the butler is going to be put back in his post and the baker is going to be executed. And then, here's Joseph, other than our Lord Jesus Christ who was perfect, but Daniel and Joseph are two characters that there's a lot of things written about them in the Bible, yet God chose not to record a single one of their faults. And uh, we all know they had them, but God chose not to record them. So Joseph lived an exemplary life Yet he's armed with limited information. You're in Pharaoh's prison. You've been sold into captivity. You got bought by Potiphar. You got lied about. You got thrown into prison. You've been sitting in prison for uh, maybe as much as 14 years. And um, 
And remember me unto Pharaoh, please. You know, he's, and I'm sure he prayed about it after the butler got released. Don't you think he prayed about that? I mean, if you were in prison for 14 years and you didn't belong there, do you think you're praying, Lord, I'd like to get out? And, and so he, he's praying away. But the thing is, what if he had talked to Pharaoh? And Pharaoh said, you know, that ain't right. Let him go. And he let him go then. And he goes back home after 14 years or so that's been in captivity, 14 to 15 years of a captivity. And he goes home to daddy and said, my brother sold me into slavery. I've been in prison for 15 years and this and that. And daddy's sister and said, yes. And they took your coat and they killed something and smeared blood all over it and brought it to me and let me think for these 15 years you've been, got killed by an animal. Now, what do you think that would have done to the fabric of that family? You know, and, how, and then you look at it from Joseph's standpoint, how would you have looked at those 15 years? How would you, what would be in the back of your mind about those 15 God's perfect timetable dreams and all of a sudden Joseph is elevated to being the prime minister of Egypt and then that leads also to the fact the famine so again, sometimes we pray with limited information. We want to kind of pick the fruit before it's ripe. And uh, so God, we again, with information we got today, we're praying earnestly. But the thing is, we don't necessarily know the future. So sometimes our prayers are short-sighted. They're premature. Um, himself in this deal. And if the great apostle Paul we should pray for as we ought. So how we should pray sometimes. There, there's a lot, lot of things that we don't know and then sometimes during the middle of a stressful situation, we're going to see that, you know, it's even hard to formulate in your mind what to ask for, you know, and, uh, and so, but the Spirit will help us as we'll look at these verses here. Um, we see the, um, the assistance of the Spirit, uh, that He helps our infirmities, speaking especially based on our infirmities of praying, uh, we'll look at verse 26. It says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not, know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. 
Now, one of the things that we have here is a unique situation, and that is we've got, we're praying to God the Father. We got God the Son at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us because he knows what it feels like to be a human. He walked this earth for 33 years, and he know, God knows it. Jesus knows how it felt. And he knows how you feel when you're going through whatever you're going through. And then we have God the Holy Spirit living in us who can search our hearts and knows what the real condition of our heart is and the stresses and the strains and the things we're going through. And when we don't even really know how best to pray, he prays for us to God the Son or God the Father, but God the Son is sitting there making intercession for us. Think about that. The three persons of the Godhead all trying to help us. God the Father with all power sitting on the throne. God the Son who loved us so much he went to the cross for us and knows everything that we're going through and knows how we feel, making intercession for us. And God the Holy Spirit helping to communicate to God for us to um, express the, the, the burdens, the, the different things that we're going through in our heart. Think of what that is. I mean, just say, how, how better could God try to wrap this up for you? You know, how, you know it's like a present wrapped up of a beautiful bow. How, how much more could God do for us? We've got all three persons of the Godhead trying to help us in our prayer life. And, um, but the key is, I think, one of the things we have to look at is the description of the Holy Spirit is one that comes up beside or undergirds us to help. That's his job. And it's also to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. But for the Spirit to help us pray, what do we have to be busy doing? Huh? Well, I think the thing is, if, God's going, if God the Holy Spirit is going to help us pray, that's kind of envisioning that we are praying. Amen. You know, how can God the Holy Spirit help us pray? Well, but I don't pray. Or I spend very little time praying. I don't invest much of myself in prayer. One of the reasons I think a lot of Christians are bad about it, I know in my life when I've ever allowed anything into my life, it isn't pleasing to the Father, and I know it's there, my prayer life kind of dries up. Because when, God, when I pray, God says, okay, but let's talk about this, Rick. And, and Rick don't want to talk about that. Uh, so Rick don't go there. So you don't pray like you ought to. Would, would you agree? Am I the only one that's ever done that? Uh, you know, the thing is, so one of the things is, is we've got to avoid sin. Known sin in our lives will certainly hinder us from even praying. We'll do a very sub, you know, quick hit of the list and then let's move on. Because we don't want to really get involved in prayer. And prayer is actually very, it takes some time and it's a work. How many of you ever been praying and right in the middle of prayer, your, your mind just goes off on a thought, you know, and, and stuff like that. It takes a discipline to keep your mind realizing you're in the very presence of God Almighty. And that if anyone ought to have your attention, 
Can you imagine being before your employer and your employer's talking or something and then two of the employees just turn around and start having a conversation telling jokes and or whatever, you know, and uh, we wouldn't do that. We'd, we'd find ourselves unemployed, yet we go before God Almighty and sometimes we, uh, we lose our train of thought, but we, all we can do is say sorry and get back on track. Uh, but we need to, it assumes that we're going to be praying so that the Holy Spirit can help us with our prayers. Um, it's been said, we cannot without God, and he will not without us. In other words, what, it, what it's simply saying is, the things that we can't, we can't do things in our own strength. Whatever ministry, whatever, trying to be a parent, trying to hold down a job, trying to be responsible in any area of our life, we can't do it all by ourselves. We need God to give us the grace to do it right. But when it comes to prayer, the other thing is we don't know how to pray. The Bible's very specific. Paul's very specific. We don't know how to pray as we ought. But the thing is, God's not go- God the Holy Spirit isn't going to pray for you if you're not praying. And also, it's like our pastor says many a time, God feeds the sparrow, but he doesn't throw the worm in the nest. If you're going to step out and do something for God, you've got to step out by faith to do something for God. And then he empowers you to be able to accomplish it. And then even when you don't know how to pray in a particular situation for maybe even ministry, or your children when they're young and when they're not young and you've got concerns and you're worried about things, you've got people that are lost and you're concerned about. Thing is, what are you doing about it? Have you stepped out? Are you trying? Are you, you know, doing things that then God can step in and empower? Brother John has been trying to, I think, share with a lot of our young folks that we live below our privilege. And the thing is, God can do great things for us, and we need to step out. Um, I th- go with me, if you would, just briefly to Second Chronicles. It'll be chapter 16. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, um, it sits there and says, For the eye grow throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. In other words, God wants to be, he is on your team if you're on his, as far as if you're saved. And he would, he's looking for opportunities for people to step out by faith to do something so that he can then come in behind you and empower you to accomplish it. Because at the end of the day, if your mind is set on God and you're praying about it and you're doing these things, you're going to know who did it. And you're going to be magnifying him and praising him. And when people say, well, how did this work out? Well, because God's been very good to me. God did this. God did that. And he's going to be magnified in your heart, plus your faith is going to be strengthened when he helps you with these things. 
but you got to step out. And we live a lot lower than our privilege, I think, in the Lord, because we just don't step out. But one of the things, going back to our text, but thinking along those lines, it is very important if you're going to step out and try to do something, be it in your profession, be it in education, be it uh, in ministry, that you pray before you step out. Um, one of the things that I, and I'm going to just give a little bit of a personal testimony, but when we started our company um, back in 87, I prayed a long time, do I have your permission to do this, Lord? Do I have your permission to do this? And because I'd, I was a plant manager, I was the oldest employee as far as time on the job at that company. I knew, I, I knew how to please them, so I knew I had a job. And uh, I was only 28 years old uh, at the time. But the thing is, I, um, I knew I had God's permission in my heart to step out. So that's what I did. The 1st of February of 87, I resigned my position, had to travel from uh, Oklahoma City area to near Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and we kept going to these uh, companies that we wanted to do work for, and they all said it sounded like a great idea. How about coming back in about three months and we talk about it again? And all the time we're living on savings and stuff. By the end of June, the savings had run out. By, so then we laid ourselves off because we paid. Great, let's talk again in about three months. Um, and so we sit there. Never criticized anything. Um, he just wanted to be helpful. But when I hung up the phone the second time, I remember turning to Lisa. We were standing there because we had imminent bills that had to get paid. And I told Lisa, I said, Lisa, I'm never calling again. I said, I know in my heart that God gave me permission to come down here. And I said, he's either going to give us our company or there was something he And all I'm doing is interrupting what God has promised me to do by inserting my own logic into it by calling my father. I had two fathers. Both of them were willing. Only one was really capable. And I had to decide which one I was going to lean on. But the thing is, what I'm trying to get across to you is, you look at verse, back in our text, look at verse 37. We didn't read it earlier, but I want to read it now. It says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Now, the thing is, if we're more than conquerors, what does that word conquer imply? There's battles. And battles back in their day was up close and personal. In other words, 
in your Christian walk, once you've prayed about something and you've got God's permission and you know you got God's permission to do it, and then you step out, doesn't mean it ain't going to be battles. Do you agree with me? The thing, the worst thing to do, though, is be always second guessing what you what you're up to. In other words, is this punishment? Am I getting spanked? Uh, did I bring this on myself? But when you know you had God's permission in your heart, you prayed about it, earnestly prayed about it, and you truly had a peace in your heart, there's nothing absolutely that's contradictory to God's word and what you're trying to do. Then there's a peace that comes from that. That, okay, this is a battle that's going to be part of the process. Now, when I hung up that phone on, with my father and made that statement to Lisa, I wish I could just say it was all over. God just went to work. It was great. Seven times between there and January 15th, Lisa and I and my business partner and his family got down to $200 between the two of us, and all the bills were coming due. And then God would make a little piece of business available that just got the bills caught up, got the wolf away from the door. Seven times between the 1st of September and um, January 15th, uh, this happened. And the thing is, how do you stay in the fight? You got to know that you had permission to be there in the first place. That's where the peace comes from. I'm just trying to share with you Praying makes a difference in how your blood pressure is going to be. Everything else about your life is going to be. If you pray first and you know you got the peace of God to move out, then God has made an obligation of himself to you to take care of you. And we see that in the fact that we move right from this help in our prayer life to this great promise of Romans 8.28 where it tells us that, um, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. You know, think about that with me just a, a minute. Um, even though we have limited information about the future, and because of it, our prayers can be short-sighted, they can be, um, you know, a little early. That scripture says that uh, we can know that all things work together for good to them that love God. All things. You know, think about a, the glorious promise that that is, that all things can work together for good. But the thing is, also, we look at it that, um, you know, it's a great comfort. Um, I, other than heaven itself, think of with, with me of what better promise you can be made. Other than being in heaven itself, where, of course, voiding hell is great. Being in heaven's better, right? Much better. But the next best thing on earth, think of... Tell me a promise that's better than that all things will work for good. All things. Can you think of another promise that's any better than heaven that's in the scriptures? 
And it's tied right up in this prayer and then about our infirmities and making intercession for us. And then he goes in, and we, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are called according to his purpose. You know, what a comfort that is. And, um, but one of the things that we have to look at with this is that, like all of God's promises, it's conditional. And one of the things is to them that love God. Well, you say, well, of course we love God. Well, what did Jesus say you'll be busy doing if you love me? Obeying. So we can do a quick little, you know, put the thermometer under the tongue and find out where we're at um, real quick if our life is in line with the Lord or is it not? And then that'll help us get a, a benchmark of our love for God. And then to them that are called... How many of us, when God calls, we come running? As far as we know, there's things we're supposed to be busy doing for the Lord, things that God's burdened our heart that we should be busy about doing. Uh, how resistant are we to you know, coming? You know, my dad had a way of overcoming uh, Terry and I's stubbornness or whatever. Dad didn't think he had our full attention. Uh, he had ways of remedy. You know that, and uh, but like I said, uh, we don't really want the Lord. You know, to we don't want to be serving the Lord because He just took us to the woodshed. You know that one; it, it'll work out for our good because we're no longer disobeying. But the discomfort that came from that, um, like I said, it bore its fruit, but we had to bear the pain. Um, but the first thing he calls us to is salvation. None of these promises or anything like that are available to the lost. The only prayer that God will hear from a lost soul is a prayer of asking to be saved. And so the first deal of listening to God's call is to, uh, to accept his son Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross. And then... In verse 29, it says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate it to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Um, after you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, he's going to start trying to clean you up. Like I was sharing with you before, the preacher would preach, and as a young just saved, man, there was a lot of work the Lord needed to do. And um, I'd hear a message, and I'd realize that that shoe fit. I needed to figure out how to wear it. Um, but the thing is, so he starts changing us. He starts sanctifying us to be conformed to the image of his son. Language, patience, concern for others, service. All of these things, can you think of all the different aspects and attributes of our Lord Jesus Christ? And we're supposed to little by little be getting conformed to that image. Um, you know, God, uh, Jesus was God in the flesh and, you know, our great pattern. Um, this is to be, you know, be done uh, for his glory. These things that we try to change in our lives and add to our lives is to be done for his glory, for his magnification. 
And it could only be done with his help. And that's the reason we need to be a prayerful people. If you want to please God with your life, you're going to have to be empowered to do that. And the only way you're going to be empowered is you add the word of God through prayer, uh, reading it, and then praying, and allow God, the Holy Spirit, to help us uh, to be empowered to do it. Um, you notice that part of that phrase at the end, uh, verse 29, uh, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Christ has got a concern for souls. And if we're going to be truly getting conformed to the image of his son, we're also going to have a burden for souls. And we've got to also just realize then, are there things in my life that would be a turnoff to somebody? You know, I would, let me ask you this. How many people really like somebody pointing out their faults? I mean, just, please just point them all out, you know. Uh, we don't like it. And so when people start, wit when you start witnessing to lost family members, something like that, they usually try to attack the messenger, don't they? The hardest ones to talk to is family members because they know right where your buttons are at and how to push them, try to shut you up. So the thing is, we just have to do our very best to try to eliminate the things that make it obvious, take away the obvious buttons as best you can, I guess is all I'm saying. And do the best you can to allow the Lord to conform you to the image of his son so that we will have a better chance to win souls. Um, and then in verse 30, it sits there and he says, um, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified them he also glorified. Now some people get caught up with his word predestination and they teach Calvinism and stuff, which is not what the Bible says. Uh, but what he's talking about, God can't help the fact that he knows the future. And he has expectations of all of his children. Once you get saved, he has a walk that he would like you to walk. He has a, a work that he would like you to do. And so he has pre knowledge of you that you're going to get saved he has expectations of you and he he's going to try to help you if you will let him walk down this path that he has chosen for your life but the thing is the um the key things that we want to look at and the thing is that people say in called again they want to go to calvinism some are meant to be saved some are not meant to say how many of us didn't get saved without god the holy spirit calling us but how many times have you been witnessing to somebody you know and you can see it in their face, they're under tremendous conviction and yet they somehow find a way to say no? How many, I mean, are you, am I the only one that's been there? You can see the conviction in their face. They're hearing the truth. They, you, that's God calling them. And so to say some are supposed to get saved and some aren't supposed to be getting saved, that's a total contradiction to what the Word of God says. It's just that he gives us a free will, and we have a choice to apply that and by faith and accept the gift that Christ has offered. Um, but the key is, it says, them he also justified. You know, um, Get my thoughts gathered here for just a second. You know, Romans uh, 
uh, 4, verse 8 says, Blessed is the man whom the Lord will not impute sin. Basically, God refuses to record your sins when you get saved. The slate's been wiped clean because uh, what's our righteousness like? Filthy rags. So if you had filthy rags written, in other words, Rick on his best day, all God could write down is filthy rags. Is filthy rags making it into heaven? No. So basically, the slate's been wiped clean. In another verse, he said he's actually imputed the very righteousness of Christ. And that's the reason he can call us joint heirs with Jesus Christ. He, he looks on our slate and he sees Jesus Christ. He sees the blood of Christ. And the thing is, so my record is clear. Not because of anything I've done, but because of my sins were put on Christ and they've been paid in full. And God has declared me justified because I accepted the free gift of salvation that Jesus offered. But then also it says in the end of that bird, and them he also glorified. So the very moment you got saved, God has glorified you. In other words, you are a joint heir with Jesus Christ. It's not one day you're going to be a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You are a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You are a son of God. The spirit itself beareth witness with our hearts or with our spirit that we're the children of God. If you've accepted Jesus Christ, you're a child of God. You've already been glorified. Your citizenship in heaven's already been guaranteed. Uh, we've won. We've got battles to go through, but we've won. We, we, the, it teaches us in verse 37 that we're more than conquerors. We've got battles to go through, but the thing is, we've won. And because of it, we also see in verse 33... And who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God to justify. In other words, it's too late for, for Satan to bring a charge against me. Now, he can get up there and say, Rick's a rascal. And, you know, if I had him as a son, I'd be embarrassed. Well, he'd be telling the truth. You know, uh, if compared to the Lord Jesus Christ, Rick's a long ways off the mark. Uh, from being the perfect child of God that I needed to be. But God looks at it, and Jesus says, yes, sir, but I paid for that. And so it's not imputed to my record. I'm justified, so it's too late. The, th the main thing is um, the God that cannot lie has decreed me justified. And anybody else that has accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, they're justified. And because of that, they've been glorified. And at the end of the day, Satan can rage all he wants. But through Christ, we have the victory. Amen. We have the final and absolute victory. We have won, not because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. We are saved, and because we're saved, we have God the Holy Spirit in our heart. If you can't remember a time when you came up, when your life took on a change, when you're even in your private moments, there is a consciousness of sin, you need to do the first thing that God says, 
uh, we, his call to you is for salvation. But if you are saved, you've got God the Holy Spirit in your heart who will help your prayer life even when you don't know how to pray. And then he prays to God the Father and God the Son makes intercession for us. And we have an access to the, the, the God that spoke and worlds came into existence. And we can step out boldly, not in our own strength, but in faith to do things for God. But we need to also remember to ask permission. Don't go off and get in trouble and ask God to get your bacon out of the fire. It's a whole lot better if you pray up front, know you had God's permission, that nothing you're asking for is contrary to his word, and when you've got that peace that God has given you permission, then you can step out by faith. There's going to be battles, but we're going to be more than conquerors. But the thing is, the battles are going to be there. And sometimes in those battles, we won't even know how to phrase the wording for our prayer. But God, the Holy Spirit, will step in and fill that void. And we have access to the throne of God. And we have the victory with our Lord Jesus Christ. Brother Brock, could I get you to close this in a word of prayer?